90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Pretty good. Sitting here drinking my um, Chug Norris beer. <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, enjoying my reprieve from doing anything at all related to schoolwork or grading. Yeah. But that reprieve's, that reprieve's about over. The uh, new semester emails are starting to kick in now, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you enjoying this uh, lovely, I don't know, July, fall weather we're having? <laughs> you know, I've never mowed my lawn this late in the year, and I'm actually very upset about it. <laughs> I think, like, that's when you, I love it. This is when you get old, is when this is what you do. Because my husband right. and I were just saying, we're like, man, remember that year that we only mowed four times the whole year? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah. So that's um. This is definitely a ridiculous lawn mowing year for here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we also had, I would say, probably the most unusual thing that we've had to do at uh, as we're now going to start calling it Lehman Geophysical and Marine. <laughs> oh no! Uh, <laughs> we ended up using a using the forklift to pull off a jet motor off a boat today. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is an exciting use of a forklift. Yeah. I will say. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. When you have the tools and people find out. Dude, that is so true. That's like that sticker that says, yes, I have a pickup. No, I will not help you move. Right. <laughs> but, you know, amped up a little bit. Right. <laughs> Was it just jet motor removal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they could the boat could be flipped over and welded. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. My husband got a new welder this week, so I haven't seen him at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been there. I wouldn't even know. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, so that's uh, that's sort of what we've been up to. But, you know, we were talking about what we were going to do this week, and we decided that it was time to interview you. See, I'm really nervous. Like, I feel like I've interviewed you about a bunch of different things, but I've never been interviewed by you, so... We'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, so this week we're excited to be talking to Shannon Doolin about paleomagnetism and how she got into the field. Hi, Shannon. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dr. Shannon Doolin, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> um, so, Dr. Shannon, could you tell us how you got into paleomagnetism? Uh Sure. Um, so I guess I'll start a little before then. This is what all our guests do when we don't ask the questions they want to answer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I came to school and I was a double major. I tried to triple major in music and meteorology and geology and they wouldn't let me, (laughs) which was great. But, (laughs) um, and so I was an honor student. Let me pull, push up my glasses real quick. And they had, we had to take an honors, like a one hour honors course. I don't know if this still happens. And so part of it was people would come and talk and get you involved in undergraduate research, like right away. And I thought that was super cool. That seemed like what college was about. And so I did that and I did it for meteorology. And now looking back on it, it's really funny because what I did was I helped 
<laughs> I help grad students make their conference paper <laughs> uh, posters. Right. <laughs> like, that's that's what I did. But it was great. I was, you know, Excel wasn't really a thing when I was in high school. So it was a it was a big deal. Um, And so I figured out what undergraduate research looked like. And I did that for a little while. I looked I worked under Claude Duchamp. I don't think he was still there when you were there. He was no. fairly old when I was there. Um, and I did that. And then in my geology classes, I was taking, it was the beginning of my sophomore year. I had started work at the Severe Storms Lab um, right after my freshman year. But at the beginning of my sophomore year, I took sedimentary petrology, and I really liked it. Um, the professor and I got along really well. And he has a habit, I know this now, of asking you know students that do well in his class if they want to work in his lab. And he runs the paleomagnetism lab. And I said, yeah, that sounds super cool. Um, and so I held. <laughs> and you were fooled. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> um, so I held both of those jobs. I worked at the Severe Storms Laboratory as a research assistant. And I worked in the Paleomagnetism Laboratory as a research assistant throughout my five and a half years as an undergrad. So I want to back up a little bit further because you said you came in doing a double, preferably triple major. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's not something most people come in uh-huh, wanting yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I would say most people come in thinking maybe I can hack it in meteorology, but I hear the math and physics is hard or I'm really passionate about rocks. <laughs> Nobody comes in saying, I want to take these two very hard science degrees Mm-hmm. and do them and knows that as a freshman and also what is your in career goal when you take two such disparate fields yeah um so how did that come about so when i was six years old i said i'm going to be a scientist i want to be a mission specialist and be an astronaut but i knew i wanted to be a mission specialist i didn't want to fly anything i didn't want to be go the military well i thought about going the military route I say this like it's something I just did. I was six years old when I had this conversation in my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I remember it's, I was six because that was when the Challenger exploded, actually. So it was before this. I knew I wanted to be an astronaut, and then that happened. And we had just gone to, like, Cape Canaveral. My brother was in the Air Force, and he was actually stationed um, down there. And so it was a really big deal anyway for me, and then that happened, and... But I knew I wanted to be a mission specialist. So school happened, right? (laughs) Like high school and such. And I scienced as much as I could in small town Oklahoma. And I was really interested. So the only advanced classes we had, the AP classes that we had in our high school were biology and um, calculus. So I couldn't take... That's exactly what we had. Oh, wow, really? (laughs) So I couldn't take calculus because it was at the same time as band, and I played tenor saxophone in the jazz band. I was really into that. All right. Really into it since I was... I played saxophone since I was 10 years old. Um, And so I couldn't take the calculus, and I actually only had through Turrigan High School. Um, but I took biology. I really like genetics, which maybe you get from this because all my fun papers are like biology papers. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, you, you picked a lot of B and J papers, including this week. Including this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
so I was really interested in that mainly because that's what I had, right? Um, like I clepped out of, not that I needed the science credits, I clepped out of zoology, got a five, whatever. But what did it for me was in between my junior and senior years, um, OU had recruiters that would come around, you know? And so the recruiter told me about this geosciences academy. At the time, um, OU had a college of geosciences, which was amazing. I'm going to shed some tears for it right now. And it consisted of geology, geography, and meteorology. They were all under one college. And so the, the program was a three-week live at OU, one week of geology, one week of geography, one week of meteorology. Um, I'm the first person in my entire family to go to college, like, at all. Um, my mom dropped out of school, got her GED much later, you know, and so no one really knew, like, what to do, right? And so right. I get to go, and I'm 16 years old, at college for three weeks, you know, <laughs> and it's super amazing, and I just thought, like, I have to take charge of this because no one's there to be like, this is what you do when you go to college or this is what you should look for. And I just, I'd always liked rocks. I obviously like every person we interview. <laughs> like, you know, I had a rock collection, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I was scared to death of tornadoes. So I grew up in Oklahoma and in Northeast Oklahoma, which is not where you want to chase storms because there are too many hills and too many trees. And I would get so scared, like, if it was windy at lunchtime, which it frequently is, I wouldn't eat. I'd be so scared of a tornado. I don't know why. It's just where all my anxiety was placed. And, like, Hmm, I can, yeah, I can remember, like, the couple of tornadoes that came really close to our house. Like, super scared. You know, I'd be in the closet crying. I'd get my teddy bear and my rosary, and I'd just sit there. (laughs) (laughs) and so I was like okay so I mostly went to this camp because I thought geology was cool and then it turns out I really liked the meteorology it was super fun it was really interesting I didn't have a huge math background but I was kind of drawn to the nerds that did (laughs) and so I was like you know maybe I'll do this too and so what came out of that academy was that I got scholarships for both geology and meteorology coming in and I remember Dr. Dr. Ka took me aside after like the first day of class in meteorology class and he was like um so we're gonna give you this scholarship even though we see that you're also a geology major and we all talked about it and we decided that was fine you know we'll see what you choose basically was what he said right and I said Challenge accepted, sucka. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's how that was born. All right. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a, that's an interesting path. And I, that's sort of how we got to know each other mm-hmm. a little bit was somebody said, oh, there's another crazy person that did this. <laughs> I bet you've heard path. that a lot, which I think is super funny. <laughs> well, but. You know, where, where we met, which was much later down the line, and I, and I want to get there, I'm curious why you were where you were when we actually met. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Whenever that was in 2009 uh-huh. or 10. Yes. Somewhere in there. 2010, I guess, yeah. Um, yeah. 
But 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 that's a little bit later. Okay, so right. you you decided that you're going to double major, not triple. Yeah. But just double. Yeah. Like a slacker. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've chosen uh, meteorology and geology. Mm-hmm. You've started working at the Storm Lab mm-hmm. and in a, a paleomagnetism lab. Mm-hmm. Yep. What what steered the rest of your path? Because right now you're not involved with meteorology more than some tangential connections to that department. Right, exactly, which sucks, that's for sure. Um, I'm making a lot more connections. Well, actually, I do teach two classes for meteorology, I will say. Um, They're cross-listed in geology, and they allow me to teach them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So technically, I teach for meteorology. Um, Okay, so I go through school, and I like – it took me a long time to, like, come to grips with this because my entire life – I was a smart kid and I didn't have to work very hard. Right. So I'm a little bit of a slacker because <laughs> um, I didn't have to work too hard at it. And I get to college and I'm just ill prepared for it. I don't have good study habits. My high school was really focused on band and we had block scheduling, which if you know what that means, like half of my day was spent inside the band room, like playing saxophone. And so when I got to college, that was a little bit of a, I can't do this. Like, I got set down, and the, the music department was like, you're okay. You're not amazing, but you're pretty good if you wanted to do this. But you won't have time to do two science majors and this. You could do right. one science major in this, but you can't do two. And I thought that I was not going to be a professional musician as much as I love to play. So that was real hard for me. To, like, that was such, like, a part of my, who I was in my mind, to let go of. Um, And so I think I threw myself into my jobs, because they were fun. And also, like, I'd never been, you know, college, man. (laughs) And so I got a C in chemistry. Now it all becomes clear why I hate chemistry, right? I got a C (laughs) in Chem 1. Like, yeah. And I cried for, like, a week and a half (laughs) and then I realized that my life wasn't over because I got this C which all I'd ever gotten was A's my entire life (laughs) um so that was probably bad that I didn't my life wasn't over because of it so I was like oh I can relax a little bit okay (laughs) um (laughs) and so I took these ridiculous course loads I mean I had anywhere between 19 and 22 hours of just science and math classes, basically. My senior year was all of, like, intro to, you know, poli-sci and all this ridiculous stuff (laughs) Um, because I focused so hard. I wanted to stay with my cohorts in both geology and meteorology, so I focused so hard on those to stay, like, with my group of friends, right? And I came in to meteorology the two years after Twister came out. And we so you were part of the boom of students yeah. trying to deal with. <laughs> so we started, our freshman class was like 230-something students, which was almost the size of my high school graduating class. And we graduated 39 of us. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And that, that trend continued really up into the, the early 2000s. Yeah, it did. It lasted a long time. And it was, you know, students came in and they're like, oh, meteorology is all math. 
Um, and I was also an outlier because I would come in and, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm super obsessed. I've loved storms since I was tiny. And I came into my classes and I'd be like, I'm really scared of tornadoes. And I just wanted to learn about them. So that'll give me power over them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which it does. It worked. Um, so that was really funny. Um, and I got my job at the Severe Storms Lab because my roommate actually got a job there, too. And they told her that they would feel bad not giving me the job as well, which is fine. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. So life goes on through my five and a half years of undergrad. And I get to the last, this semester before my last semester. And I think, okay, well, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to grad school. That seems to be what's next, right? Like that's what all my academically inclined friends were doing. And in the same week, uh, Doug Elmore, so my professor, my advisor, and the guy that ran the PMAG lab, he said, I have money if you want to stay. I'd love for you to work with me. Okay. I had done an undergraduate um, honors thesis with him. I got to go to Scotland, actually, as an undergrad. It was really amazing. It was, yeah, life-changing. I got to present, you know, at conferences and stuff. So that was cool. And I thought, okay, great. I'm done with that. And that same week, the Severe Storms Laboratory, my boss had gotten a big grant. And he said, if you want to stay for your master's, I have money for you to stay for your master's. <laughs> so that's really lucky. <laughs> but it didn't help make your decision. Not even a little bit. Like, it was super lucky. And it was probably, like, the worst two weeks in school. Because, like, I loved everyone I worked with in both of the places. I was much better better at geology so I got my math minor like all of us almost always do right and my you know my GPA in geology was really high compared to my GPA in meteorology <laughs> just because I have to I have to work at math it's not it doesn't come as easily to me like it does to you um but geology was something that I understood a little bit better and in the end I said I don't want to sit in front of a computer all day and that's what meteorology was and as you alluded to at that time, meteorology was pretty cutthroat, and I felt like, even though I already worked at the Severe Storms Laboratory, and were I to stay there as a master's student, the path to a job would have been fairly easy if I had done a good job. Um, it just didn't feel, it felt more competitive than I wanted. You know, it just wasn't, like, as welcoming of an environment, and so I chose geology and cried for another week or something like that <laughs> um, and it was really sad to say goodbye to that and so I chose geology interesting yeah um OU is obviously being in Oklahoma a very petroleum heavy school and while that was not necessarily something that I thought I wanted to do I'd been an undergrad for five and a half years I got these two bachelor degrees that no one had ever done those two degrees before. Um, and I wanted a break, but I knew I wanted to, you know, keep going to school. So I actually took an internship for a semester in between undergrad and grad school. And I worked at Dominion Oil and Gas um, in Oklahoma City um, just to see if that was something I liked. And I didn't. I should have paid attention, but whatever. So, uh, yeah, that's yeah, what I well, did. I mean, we, we all do those internships, and mm -hmm. I mean, at, at best, they're you know tours through whatever field, oil and gas or aerospace or whatever. 
and you can decide basically whatever you want from them because in 10 weeks you don't really get a good picture of that as a career. Right, exactly. Well, I um I graduated in December, so I got my undergrads in December, so I actually did an internship for like 4 months or 5 months. Um, okay, so you really had a good idea. That's not what you wanted to go into. Yes, correct. Like I technically started graduate graduate school that um that semester, but all I took was like 1 hour. And so I did that and I remember at the end my guy, I, it was just so, like, I grew up pretty poor-ish, poor-ish, lower middle class, whatever. And so going from, like, making 10 bucks an hour at the Severe Storms Lab, which was huge, that was, like, a pretty good paycheck back then, um, to making $35 an hour as an intern. <laughs> right. That was the one thing that I'm like, maybe I will do oil and gas for a while. <laughs> like, that was pretty good money. But I remember at the end of my internship, the guy was like, you know, you should probably just stick to school. Seems like you really like that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And was that, do you think, because, like, you got distracted on the interesting questions, not just the questions about where pay was? That or? is exactly what happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you would have been really proud of me, though. This was my, like, first, when I had to give my presentation, like, I did a whole lot of geologic background because I thought that was the interesting part, right, which no one cared about. Um, but I remember I broke it up into, like, two separate things because I tried to make that cool. And then my transition slide was the Monty Python foot coming down, and I said, and now <laughs> for something completely different. <laughs> which three people laughed, and I thought, man, maybe this isn't my audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so then I went on to um, do my master's in geology after that. Okay, so you do your master's in geology, and we've talked a little bit about it on here yeah. before, but mm -hmm. what what did you do your master's on? Uh, so, obviously, I was working for the paleomagnetism lab, and I didn't hadn't let go of this whole NASA thing. I knew I wasn't going to be an astronaut, because um, I'd been in school so long, I was, you know, about to age out, basically, <laughs> but... It's, it's a sad realization, isn't it? It really is. It's so yes. sad. I had so many friends that applied there last year just because. Um, so, but I still like planetary stuff. And so my advisor was like, I don't do planetary stuff. And there wasn't anyone that did planetary stuff at the time. And so we were like, okay, well, let's make this up. Like, let's just do it. We had done this stuff in Scotland. And he's like, you know, a long time ago, this guy talked to me about this impact crater. And so he and I wound up like making up my master's thesis. Um, and we looked at the impact crater or paleomagnetism of impact craters that weren't well dated. So we've talked about how hard it is to know when some impact craters occurred. But what you can use paleomagnetism for is you can determine when rocks were deformed. And so we thought if we would look at deformed rocks that we know were deformed by an impact or supposed impact. It turned out we looked at a bunch of them. Um, then we can say, oh, magnetism happened right after impact or the impactor had no effect on the magnetization. And maybe if it happened right after impact, we could sort of help constrain the age of when these impactors hit. Okay. Yeah. And so, and well, and part of that too was, um, there's this weird line of impacts along the 38th parallel in southern Missouri. It's real strange. Um, this is the whole impact versus cryptovolcanic stuff we've talked about a ton on here. And um, it, Shoemaker Levy 9, we just talked about this last week when you talked about Neowise, had happened. And so that had been 
um, put out there as a mechanism possibly for all these things. And so we basically proved that that's not true because the deformation of a few of them happened at different times. So it's just coincidence that they're all in a line. Right. I mean, random things are actually somewhat grouped often. Yes, exactly. And it's real strange. And you look at the map and you're like, mm, I don't think so. But no, we've already, we've already proven that that um, wasn't it. So that's what we did for my master's. Um, at the end of my master's, so I've been in school for five and a half years. And then it took me two and a half to do my master's because I was doing that, um, doing that internship for a semester. So I'm real burned out on school. You know, I got like three publications out of my master's. That was a lot. Which is outrageous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, okay, like I got a, a publication as an undergrad and then three out of my master's. So it was like, okay, that's a lot. I'm really stressed out. And so... And I think this is something that everyone should be forced to do even. Um, I, we moved to Iowa City, which is where my husband's from. He actually left the last semester because he got a job offer. And so he left the last semester of my master's, which was great because then I could work and not have to worry about anything else. <laughs> um, right. And right. so as soon as I finished, I followed him up there, finished writing up my papers. And I was a dog walker and a barista for half a year. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. And I was not the most educated person at the coffee shop I worked at. <laughs> <laughs> I walk in there, I'm like, I got three degrees. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's always shocking. Like, anytime you go into a coffee shop or a outdoor store, like, I, I looked at a canoe a few years ago in a store, and was talking to the guy, and turns out he's got his, you know, like PhD in biological engineering. Hundred like percent. A, a, a lot of of academics <laughs> seem to take some time and just go do something totally different. Oh gosh, that's so funny because that was the first place I wanted to work because Iowa City is where the University of Iowa is. Um, that's where my husband grew up too, but. And there's an outdoor store, like a local one there. And I applied there like three times because I wanted to work there so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it turns out there's not a lot of money in dog walking. And I had a lot of student loans (laughs) that were going to come due. um, Because while I had a lot of scholarships, I am irresponsible with money. And so I took out a lot of loans. So my loans were coming due. I had to do something. And I had gotten hooked up in my master's work because I continued to do internships, not every summer, but almost. And I had gotten hooked up with a company in Denver that needed access to university libraries. So this is a totally different thing, right? When there's not, this is not the time of internet so much. Um, I mean, obviously the internet was there. I'm not that old, but. (laughs) Right, but it's, it's pretty Early information sharing and early information. This is when you still had the printed internet yellow pages. Correct. And you still had to, you know, you couldn't, you you could see what stuff was in the card catalog, but it wasn't widely available on publishers' websites. Right. And so this company in Denver, the small company, was trying to get into some plays, but actually needed like background research done on them. So I had been doing that at the ridiculous 25 bucks an hour. And I was doing that for them, 
And then I go and I'm a dog walker and all this stuff. And then I, I had sort of made a really good rapport with the geologist there. And I called him and I was just like, are you guys hiring? And he was like, well, why don't you come out here and find out? And so I, uh, we moved to Denver <laughs> because I got a job there. And yeah. So you weren't sure that you liked working in the energy industry, but uh-huh. <laughs> moved. I, I knew that my days of barista and dog walking were coming to an end. Like I had a lot of right. fun. It was great, but I needed a, I, my break was over. My sabbatical was over and I thought, all right, well, let's go to Denver. And so my husband and I, and That's the how dog, you know, you're destined to be an academic when you refer to <laughs> working in a non-academic field for six months as your sabbatical. That's exactly right. Um, and I think that was always in the back of my mind. Like it was hard because I was the first person in my family to go to college. I didn't know a lot of, you know, people that went on for their PhD, but also like school was the best thing. That was my home. Like I knew that's where I wanted to be, but we moved to Denver for a year and it was fabulous because Denver's fabulous, but also it, it just, it wasn't for me. And this, the day that I knew I wouldn't make it in this company, it was a really small, it was a company out of Wichita that has maybe a hundred employees, but the Denver office was only eight people. And I had to fix every, because I was the scientist, because I was the lower totem pole scientist. I had to do stuff like, if you had a, a computer problem, I had to do it. Like, I was IT, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was like, oh, God. And the day, like, APG comes to Denver, just like GSA does all the time. And so I was like, oh, great. Well, I'm going to go to APG, right? I'd been to tons of conferences. And the geologist there said you don't want to go to this, you know, you don't need to go to it. It's no big deal. And he's like, you wouldn't find anything interesting at a conference anyway. Ooh. And I was like, all right, bro, I'm out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm out. Um, he wanted to tell me he never even finished his master's degree and all this stuff. And I was like, I, I'm out. Like, this is not what I want to do. Um, so I did the next thing, which was we moved back to Oklahoma. Um, my dad was retiring, and he'd been in his job. He worked for Wonder Bread, and he'd been in his job forever. And a couple of his friends had retired and then died really soon afterwards. And so my whole family was kind of like, ooh, we hope dad's okay as soon as he retires, which is super funny, which for reasons that will become clear. Um, <laughs> okay. So I was a little worried about that. I thought maybe I needed to come back home. Um, there's not a lot of water in Denver. I know that sounds silly, but it's definitely something we talked about. Like, if you're going to raise a kid here, schools aren't that great. There's actually not a lot of resources like that. The environment there is very stressed. There's too many people for what's, oh, yeah. for, for what's going on there, just as you know. Way too many people. Like, collecting rainwater was illegal. It's not now, but it was, and all this stuff. Like, you couldn't... You couldn't even light fires in your house because on most days because of the particulate matter that it would generate, you know? Oh, so, there's still, yep, red and blue days. Yep. Yeah. Still a thing. So you got the brown cloud. Yeah. And it's like, as much as it was great, and we actually lived in Denver, um, it was just, it was so expensive. There was no water. And like, we were either going to buy a house there and be there forever or I was going to come home. And I think I was too scared at that time because I'd been away from academics for like two years, um, a year and a half. I think I was too scared to go anywhere else for my PhD, and I used my dad as an excuse. Sounds like a therapy session, but <laughs> I used my dad's retirement sort of as an excuse to come back to, to OU 
essentially. Um, but I didn't come back to OU. I, on my birthday, I asked for my birthday off. And the guy was like, yeah, we don't do that. This is like a big girl job. Like, you don't get your birthday off. And I was like, I'm taking my birthday off. He was like, all right. And then he jokes. He's like, do you have a job interview or something? I did have a job interview. (laughs) (laughs) So in one day, I flew back to Oklahoma and I interviewed at Chesapeake um, on my birthday. It rained. I fell getting out of the cab, going into my interview, into a puddle. Uh, (laughs) And uh, yeah. And so they offered me a job and I was like, you know what? I don't want to raise a kid here in Denver. I love it. It's one of my favorite cities. It still feels like home. My husband had a great job there. Um, And so we left. We left. We came back. And we moved to Edmond. And I worked at Chesapeake. And it literally drained my soul for three years. (laughs) Just drained my soul. It was terrible. Ouch. Yeah. 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 I didn't want to be a meteorologist because I didn't want to spend all my time in front of a computer. But it turns out when you work in the oil industry, you just spend all of your time in front of a computer. I so you started realizing that no matter what degree you have, that's becoming more and more of what every job is. Yeah, that is 100% true. But at least being a teacher, I get to like move around a lot, which is all I require. I'm an Aries. I can't sit still. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So it drained the life of blood out of me. And that's no knock on the company, which, I mean, they're not doing so hot now. But um, it's just that kind of job isn't for me. My husband says I can't work for the man. That's probably true. <laughs> and, you know, that is that is also a super common trait among academics. <laughs> so true. I mean, Most if you look them, at a pie chart uh... of how professors spend their time, it's like 3% in committee meetings and 97% don't tell me what to do with my time. <laughs> I had that comic printed out for a while. <laughs> exactly. Um, except for a lot of academics don't ever go out to figure out that. You know what I mean? But So yeah. I went out into the world, figured that out. I had a kid. Um, I came back to OU for a couple of retirement parties. Obviously, I was in touch with my advisor this whole time. We're pretty pretty good friends. And so I was like, I really, I hate my life. And he's like, all right. Um, at the end of my master's, I remember we went to a tiny conference. And he said, you should turn this work into your PhD. You've done so much work for your master's. It's super easy. If you want to stay... I'll pay you, you know, this amount, which was higher than most PhDs made because he's got a lot of grants. So it was nice. And I was like, okay, I'm going to think about that real hard. And I did, but I had to take a break. So I said, okay, well, what do you think? Like, I'm dying here. Should I come back to school? Should I go somewhere else for school? I got this little kid. My husband's got a good job. And he's like, well, we're going to, at this time, AGU used to have a spring meeting. So they'd have the fall meeting in San Francisco, and then they have a spring meeting. And that sort of, like, fell off. And then they tried to do this meeting of the Americas for a few years. And they were having one in Brazil. And he was, like, one of his master's students at the time had worked on some stuff I had worked on but hadn't actually included in my master's because my master's was going to be a Ph.D. if I did And so he's like, you're on two of these papers. Just come with us. And so I said, okay. And in my mind, I set my quit date 
at Chesapeake, and I went to Brazil before I even started school um, in 2010 for my PhD. All right. So you came back to OU in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think, was it your, was it the first year back? Yes. That, that we encountered each other? Yeah, I think it was in the spring of that first year. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I had heard about this other crazy person <laughs> that had done the, the same undergrad route. Mm-hmm. And then you show up in GASP, a <laughs> geophysics class. <laughs> um, so I didn't know. I go to Brazil... And I'm in a really deep quandary about whether PMAG is the thing I want to keep doing because I didn't want to get in that whole pigeonhole trap of you can't go to the same place or do the same thing, right? And so I considered working with some different people. And at this time, we had a new younger geophysics professor, younger than me, actually. Um, And she taught this awesome class that was like geophysical methods outside. So basically using all this geophysics equipment outside. And so my advisor was like, you should take this class with her. I think you might really like it. You have the math background to be a geophysicist if you want to be. And in a lot of places, I mean, paleomagnetism is geophysics, right? And uh, Right, yeah. Right. (laughs) And so he's like, you should take this. And that's where I was like, why is this nerd wearing dress-up clothes on Fridays or whatever? (laughs) Thursdays. Ah, sorry. The class was on Fridays. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, and so then everyone was like, you need to meet this guy. He's doing what you did. And it just kind of was instant friendship, I think. Yeah, I'm, well, I don't know if I'm going to say instant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, uh, I, I, I remember, at least the way I remember it, like, you know, we chatted some, and then... I don't think we ever really got partnered up on anything in that class. Oh, that's true. Uh, so, you know, I think we knew of each other and maybe talked, but I didn't really, at that point, in, as an undergrad, wasn't comfortable just going and planting in somebody's office uh, and asking them questions. Yeah. Okay. No, that's true. And I did have friends in that class, people who I was their TA when I was a master's student, we're back in school too, and so right, yeah, that is true. Okay, mm-hmm. so I mean, we 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 chatted some, but I don't know that I would say we were we were buds by the end of that class. Yeah, that's true. But by the end of the next academic year, we were beating down the door of the local watering hole at eleven thirty on some days. <laughs> it was ten thirty. Don't be modest. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that was true. Did we take anything else together? I don't think we did, though, did we? No. What happened? No, that's the only class we ever had together. Huh, weird. <laughs> I guess, well, maybe it was, hmm, I don't know. Well, what did happen was we were building our new geology camp, and that next summer was, like, the first year it was done, and so I TA'd for field camp every year, and we started that geophysics field camp. So maybe that's when... Right, we were out there together for that yeah. because I, I did the first round of geophysics field camp as a student, and I did the second round as a teacher. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And so I was out there for, for both of those, so that probably yeah. was the solidification. But yeah, we definitely, um, McNally's was our, was our place for sure. Because, I mean, Rest there's a peace, lot of, it, oh, man, I can't, 
I can't even say their name. (laughs) (laughs) The place that took their place is not okay. (laughs) But anyway. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was that was that. It's. Yeah. And here I am. (laughs) And here you are. So where exactly are you? Because you're not a traditional. I'm going to do research and teach what I have to. Right. Academic. You're uh-huh. a different sort of academic. Right. An, an um, academic that actually wants to teach. <laughs> yeah. We are few and far between, for sure. Um, so it came time, and it was like, okay, well, it's time to time to wrap this thing up, right? Um, and I'd had a couple of sort of – I was sad about my dissertation because my last chapter was one of those – it could only get published in the Null Journal, you know. Um, and it's like all this really hard work and know nothing more than I did. Paleomagnetism is the worst in that respect because it's like you do all of the work, all the work is done before you know anything, right? It's so much work beforehand. Um, and so we're getting into the last semester and I decided to, yeah, I graduated in December. So it was four and a half years. Um, I decided to teach my last semester because I didn't really, I mean, I TA'd a ton, right? But, um, there were, there was someone was going on sabbatical and they needed somebody to teach stratigraphy. And so I got offered basically to teach stratigraphy and an intro geology class. And I still hadn't finished my PhD. So I taught two classes. Um, so I taught eight hours and finished writing my dissertation at the same time. (laughs) And I was, you know, looking for a job. Um, if you're looking for a job in academia or you want to know about academia, because I was hamstrung by the fact I'd only been at OU, right? And so right. I figured I was already shot myself in the foot. And then I also didn't have to hustle very hard to make my own money because my advisor had a lot of money. So I didn't know a lot about grant writing at all. So I went to the... Um, on the cutting edge, like how to be a geoscience professor. It was like a workshop. It, the one I went to was at UC Boulder and it was three days and it was the most intense and informative workshop I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> it was so good. It answered so many questions. I made a little friends, a little cohort of us. There was four of us that really palled around and like connected and as we right. each graduated we bought each other these doctor mugs from the phd comic store <laughs> yeah. it was so cool um and it's like i haven't talked to any of them since then like i was the last one to graduate out of all of us but it's like we talked a lot it was really neat and i was like okay i don't have a lot of the cred that i need to get jobs but i just started applying everywhere and then at ou this job comes up, and I thought, you know, I really love field camp. I TA'd for it every summer, and I really like the field. Paleomagnetists are field geologists almost ubiquitously. Right. And, and that's what I liked. And so this job came across. I didn't even know we were doing it because I was just a student. And it came across my job board, and it was the job to be the director of the OU field camp. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so... um. Dr. Megan Elwood Madden came to me and she said, you should apply for this, which kind of made me mad. My advisor didn't tell me that because he was running the search, but that's probably why he didn't tell me that. Um, And so 
I did. I applied for it. Um, my advisor had to step down, obviously, <laughs> out of that search committee. Um, and I applied for it. And what it is is, so I'm not a tenure track professor, but I am still on the professorial track, right? So you go assistant professor. So usually you get tenure and you're promoted to associate. And then lots of people just stay there because they don't care because they got tenure and they don't care. And then some people keep going to be a full professor. Um, so I am a, what they call a rank renewable term faculty member. And that's the crappy, well, everyone thinks it's the crappy. We kind of get treated crappily. And in some places you aren't on the assistant professor, associate professor track. Um, but I am. And my renewable term is five years, which is super long. A lot yeah. of these are like one year jobs. Um, so I'm a five-year renewable term faculty member, but I'm also the director of the field camp. And so my teaching research service breakdown is a lot different. Usually that's 40, 40, 20. And mine is 70% teaching, 15% research, 15% service. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's where it is. I mean, I can still get promotions just like anyone else I can still go on sabbatical the only things I can't do are apply for certain grants that you're required to be a tenure track professor for and that and I can't vote on tenure in faculty meetings but that's really about it um I got some really crappy advice when I first started when I searched out faculty mentors because that's the kind of person I am is that I'm gonna go find people to mentor me I'm not gonna wait around and these people told me that, you know, my life was terrible. I needed to find, they literally said your life is terrible. I needed to find a tenure track because I have so much, you know, instability in my job. But it's like, that's not really what I like to do. I really like to, I like to research, but it's not my driving thing. I really like to teach and I love field teaching. Um, so really I had the perfect job because no one wants to be gone for six weeks and teach field camps. So I don't, I'm not worried about my job. <laughs> Right. Nobody, nobody wants to teach the classes I'm teaching. Um, yeah, and it's it's just perfect. I actually almost got poached for a couple of other field camp director jobs shortly after I accepted this job. Um, but I'm really glad I stayed here. There's actually another professor at OU, and she's the director of one of the schools of engineering. And she said, <laughs> she's kind of one of my mentors, and she's like, why have you beat? Because she's actually from Norman and has all her degrees from OU. <laughs> So she's the only one that has me beat that I know of. But yeah, so here I am, and what's that? All right. So uh, we've known each other for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. And I would say I, I have softened my, my verbiage of you actively fought technology <laughs> to <laughs> you... <laughs> You are now willfully or unwillingly accepting. <laughs> is that I, accurate, or is that me being overly harsh? You're um, until this summer, I would have said overly, or I would have said accurate. But I taught field geology online, <laughs> and I, despite not having finished this darned Arduino class, <laughs> I. <laughs> Feel like a master. <laughs> now, did did it dawn on you that 
you were back to sitting in front of a computer all day. <laughs> oh, it dawned on my butt sitting in this chair all day. <laughs> and you know, so what I think that I can bring to that, what I brought to Online Field Camp was the fact that, well, gosh, I can talk forever if you can't tell from this episode, but um, I have workplace experience. I have it in several different um, workplaces. And so what I can bring to students as a teacher, especially because the master's degree is really, you know, the terminal degree in geology, is that, like, I've been there. And there aren't a lot of professors that have. There are, but not a ton. And so what I could bring was, like, these are skills you'll need. You know, you'll need to do this. I had to do this. And stuff like that. So, yeah, it does suck, but it really is the nature of the beast now. Is that this is for good or ill. I don't ever want to be one of those people like this is how we used to do it. So that's how we do it. You know what I mean? And it's like, in all honesty, field geology isn't a job like it used to be 50 years ago. You know, or like when your dad got out of school. Right. you You could be a field geologist all day long if you wanted to. And it's like, even the field geologists I know, they go out maybe three weeks a year. Right. And so. and I say that, that, that my statement about technology and, you know, being back in front of a computer, not in a, a bad way or a way to poke fun at you in any way. <laughs> I say it very, very adoringly because I, I think you're right. I think that makes you a lot different. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings a pretty valuable uh, perspective to your students. So... Uh, I just thought it it was funny, and to me, you know, it uh, it really is what sort of helped get this podcast going too. Was that we had very similar tracks in so many respects, mm-hmm. except for the fact that when it came to technology, I instantly <laughs> went way down the rabbit hole, and you ran outside. Ah, 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 so true. It's so true. Yeah. That's exactly where we diverge. That's absolutely true. Um, I will say that I was starting to get into that rut, and I, I mean, this COVID stuff is terrible. This is terrible. It's it's terrible that the whole world is going to just write off this year, right? But in terms of, it was amazing for me because I had to, well, this part of it is, the rest of it is super stressful, but... Uh, Like, I had to make this work, and it was really a step up to the plate or phone it in situation, right? Like, I could have phoned this in. No one would have cared. Everyone would have understood. You know, I had two kids to take care of while I was teaching this class. Everyone would have understood. But instead, I said, you know what? John always says I can do this technology stuff if I just pay attention (laughs) And so so I did. I learned so much stuff. Like, I think I'm going to teach a virtual field trip class now. That's awesome. Yeah, like like a a graduate course of, like, how to make one. And, yeah, I just had had a meeting with um, our director, and we've already planned all these virtual field trips, like, that we're going to need for the fall and that we can also use for recruiting and all this stuff um, with the – tutelage of Steve Simpkin from Arizona State, who has helped me out in my career a lot, knowingly and unknowingly, um, because he does this too. And it's like, it's, it's great. You just have to sit down and do it. And this is where I am so unforgiving now 
uh, with people who are so resistant to technology, which is hilarious maybe for you to hear. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, you know what? You just have to learn it. Just like you've learned to do anything in your life, you just have to devote your time to it. If you and sit if there you and think say, you're not going to do it, yes, you're not. <laughs> that is exactly right. That is exactly right. Like I can edit videos like not as well as you can, I'm sure, but like a champ now. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm not not very good. Uh, and as several listeners write in often to tell me, I'm not that good at audio either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's getting better. Yeah. See, I just didn't want to tell you this stuff because I don't want you to make me have to edit this stuff now. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I I mean, I will say every field, no matter what you're in, no matter what you do, you're always going to have times you're like, I despise this. Yeah. Always. And, I mean, recently I was working on some programming. It was actually uh, weather related. But I was sitting there staring at this code, trying to figure out why it wouldn't work for hours and hours and hours. And then found it. And it was a very dumb mistake. And I thought, I'm going to go make French fries for a living. (laughs) I'm done with this. Pack it up. Uh, (laughs) And you have that in every field, but I think you have to be persistent and uh, flexible. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like I really connect with a lot of my students because as people probably can tell listening to this, like I open up a lot, right? I'm, fairly open person um but the other thing is like at yeah just because like you're a master of coding i would never think number one that you would think that about yourself or number two that you'd make a stupid mistake right (laughs) and it's like i got a d in calc three guys you know and and i sit there and tell people this when they're freaking out and it's like i got a d in calculus and i'm a professor (laughs) you know i retook physical math i got a c in physics one and i do physics for a living yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it in in the end it matters that you know that you know things and can apply them. Right. And that you know how to figure it out. Like that's the important part really. And so it just yeah, when I landed this job I was nervous and whatever, but it turns out like I really being made to teach that last semester like really solidified like what I like to do and I like to connect with people and I like to put people, you know, help them learn science. That's a big deal for me, which is a big deal for you, which is why we started this together too. Um, and I use it more and more. I use our podcast more and more in teaching, which I was always too embarrassed to, but now I do a lot. Uh, <laughs> and I was at, um, I've had a few undergraduate honors research assistants. Um, I got involved with this great first year research program at OU because that's what I did, right? So I'm trying to give back. Um, cause that's how I became what I am. And I remember I was walking through the halls judging their poster contest and some kid yells like from way down there and he's like, I love your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought this is amazing. That was so great. <laughs> and you know, it really is pretty much every job that you're ever going to get. Uh, I'm curious if you feel the same way. I think you do from what you said, uh, every job you're going to get, you have no idea if you can actually do it when you walk in the door. Yeah. Exactly. And it's always scary, terrifying the first time, but it's like the more, I don't know, the more you can ask people and bug people, I know you're exactly the same way. Like the more you're going to learn, the worst someone can say to you is no, 
And then you just go to the next office, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a really good... I started listening to this podcast called On the Metal. If you're okay. really, really into computer history, it's excellent. But, I mean, like, you're interested in hearing the development of processor architectures. And <laughs> it's it, it's real nerdy. Um, <laughs> but I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And there was a guy on there that was telling the story of he interviewed for a large company that was having a problem with their flagship computer. It was performing very slowly. And they said, well, what do you think about this? And he goes, well, I've got a few ideas on what might be able to cause that problem. And yeah, it's, you know, I could probably have it fixed in, I don't know, two, four weeks, something like that. Well, you know, they've had a team of engineers looking at this <laughs> since they've had this problem. <laughs> and, and here this guy comes in fresh out of college and it's like, oh, yeah, you, it's just a problem. Like, yeah, give me two to four weeks. <laughs> um, he sees before he starts the job that there's been a press release of, oh. you know, we have a fix coming for this. It's going to be out in the next quarter. Yeah, yeah. So he gets to the job and he goes, well, I guess, you know, we got to find something else for me to do because I saw that you announced you have a fix. And his boss goes, you are that fix. <gasps> and so even before he started his job, they had already announced that there was a fix coming out next quarter because in his interview, he was like, oh, yeah, you can probably do that in a few weeks. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Uh, and did it <laughs> because oh. he said, yeah, I had to stay up, you know, all night and work seven days a week and absolutely just kill myself trying to learn everything I could that I needed to. Yeah. But I solved it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's pretty good. So, you know, actually related to that, if, if you don't have anything else to add, we might move on to everybody's favorite segment. But if you have something else to add, by all means. Uh, oh, no. I impart wisdom all over the place on this podcast. I'm good. <laughs> all right. Well, in that case, it's time to move on to everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay! <laughs> and on the topic of working all day and all night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Academics are well known for crushing guilt that rivals any <laughs> religion. <laughs> and if you're a Catholic academic, it's even worse. <laughs> right. Uh, so you sent this paper that talks about when manuscripts and reviews get submitted. I thought this was great. So... I found a couple of sort of funny things, but my Google foo was way off tonight. So I went to my, you know, the BMJ Christmas edition like I always do. And this still was not even really a funny paper, but it is very interesting. Um, so it's working nine to five, not the way to make an academic living. Observational analysis of manuscript and peer review submissions over time by Barnett, Muburn, and Schroeder. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this was pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, and so they, they look at submissions between 2012 and 2019, so that's 49,000 manuscripts and 76,000 peer reviews. That's an insane number. <laughs> yes, and they say, what time of day were these submitted? Were they submitted on a work day or a weekend or a holiday? Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you. Which is, with someone of crushing academic guilt, <laughs> have you ever submitted a manuscript on a holiday? I was trying to think, 
if I had, I don't think I've submitted a manuscript, but I have submitted a peer review. I definitely submitted a peer review on Thanksgiving before. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely, I, I remember a, it was either Christmas Eve night or early Christmas morning. It, you know, it was that mm-hmm. blurry time around midnight, 1 a.m., yep. uh, putting one in. Oh, yeah. See, there we go. Which is not very characteristic of us in the United States, but. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> but definitely on the weekends. And I'm not at all surprised by the fact that they also saw a large peak late in the day because you you go in the morning, you're like, I'm going to get this manuscript submitted. And then stuff comes up. And finally, that 3.30, 4 o'clock time rolls around. And you're like, dang it. And you shut the office door. Mm-hmm. So, and power through. I think this is what's really interesting. And actually, I think they alluded to it a little bit in some of the... Um, people that they cited, which I have, I literally have like 10 of these highlighted digitally, shockingly, (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, of their references to go to, because I feel like I, so is it crushing academic guilt or, and they do talk about this a little bit, like, is it just that, like, I can't, because I am gregarious, shockingly (laughs) like students come to me and because I'm very approachable as opposed to a lot of other people in our department I get approached a bunch because I'm a female that statistically happens a lot more too um so it's like there are students in my office all the time right and so how much of this is I have to do this on the weekend so no one will talk to me (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely go up to my shop on, you know, Saturday morning mm-hmm. and do my deep coding then because I know nobody's going to walk in. Because nobody, exactly. No one's there to ask any dumb little thing or not. And I know that's my job, right? So I keep my door open a lot of the time um, because of that. And because I teach an exorbitant amount, I have a lot more students. So, yeah. I think that's part of it, too. Um, I think this would be interesting to do, but also hard to do for uh, grant submissions, because mine are always Friday at 5, and it's never my fault. It's the research office's fault. (laughs) And demonetized. (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on them. I don't have any money. (laughs) Right. Uh, Now, uh, that would be interesting for sure but yeah that that information's all private right and that's really hard to track obviously um even if you had it because of that thing um i i couldn't were you shocked at the number five years no seven seven years the number of papers because they only looked at the bmj and bmj open that's given how much we know about the vast proliferation of literature no no Gosh, that's uh, a lot. Was I unnerved by it a little still? Yes. Mm. Mm. Like, um, were there really f- almost 50,000 things worth publishing yeah. in it? Probably not. I d- mm-hmm. Yeah. Which... I mean, you know, send your flame mail. That's fine. But <laughs> but there's been a, a trend towards we're going to publish the least publishable unit, the LPU. Like, this is the least <gasps> uh-huh. amount of information that we can get away with putting in a paper, as opposed to these 
beautiful 50-page review papers that covered comprehensive studies of you know three or four years of work that would come out in the the 70s and you know you go read this one paper and it's like a book and suddenly you know something exactly instead of reading this yeah instead of reading this little short two or three pager at which point you're like well we might know one thing about something under certain conditions maybe Mm -hmm. and you have to trace down their next 12 papers to get the full view of it Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was actually, so at that, at that workshop that I talked about, we were actually told that. That was one guy's, like, tips and tricks. That's what he said. He's like, to get as many publications as you can, publish as little info as possible. And I remember taking this to a couple of PMAG people and being like, how do we, and they're like, we can't do that. You can't do that in PMAG. It doesn't work. Like, we don't have incremental steps of information, really. Um yeah, that was very interesting. And I heard that from a couple of paleomagnetists. I'm like, oh, you know, like we probably should publish, right? Right. Well, and, yeah. and you know, in rock mechanics, sort of the same way. Like a lot yeah. of the papers I put out would be suites of 20 to 100 experiments. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's what one. you have to do. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, in all these papers... Uh, we see that the probability of weekend submissions is highest in China, Taiwan, and South Korea, with the U.S. actually being slightly below average. Yeah. Um, I was surprised by that, and I misspoke earlier because um, that trend is different for holiday submissions. Um, I was... uh, It's... Yeah, that's really interesting. And they talk about how China has a very much quantity over quality publish or perish academic atmosphere right whereas holidays are you know belgium germany japan the u.s is still above average though yeah quite a quite a bit above average um which bears out we've both done that so there you go (laughs) right (laughs) Uh uh-huh yeah exactly um i thought the statistics were very well treated in this paper and that you would appreciate that I did. The statistical treatment was pretty nice. The mm-hmm. figures were all done very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought you'd like that too. <laughs> yep, they had some nice little heat maps. and uh, the, the timeline of, okay, you got kind of a diurnal cycle and there's a little dip around lunch, except in some places where there's a peak around lunch. You know, yeah. None of that really surprised me. That really surprised you? And no, it didn't. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, see, that doesn't surprise me either because that's when you can shut your door and everybody's gone and you can get your stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it would surprise me if 2020 statistics or like 2021, depending on what the work environment continues to look like, mirrors this or not, though. I am very anxious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they said, well, we're surprised that they said they, they were surprised that they don't see an increase year over year in weekends or nights or holidays. I was not because th- their yeah. thesis on this rides on the fact that it's easier and easier to, you know, your computer travels with you, so you're always at work. Right, yeah. But over the time span they looked at, that's totally been true. Right, which is kind of what they wind up saying. But, yeah, I would, yeah, you need to take a, you know, 1990s through 2002 or three. And I know they're not because this. that data is not available. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that's, to me, that's very expected. 
Correct. I would not have had that um, hypothesis either. I don't believe. Yeah. Um, I do love that this Christmas edition is called Shiny Happy People, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought this was like the least funny, but like super interesting as they are. Um, yeah, the, the holiday thing did surprise me a little bit. Yeah. That's interesting. And but I just I love the way that they pulled out their data. This is really a cool treatment of like a big data thing. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you've got information that you want to send us on when you last submitted your manuscript or peer review, or if you would like us to go back and do an analysis of when we received your emails, which I'm going to have to tell you, you all are a bunch of night owls. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many times my phone's dinged at midnight, and it's it's a listener email. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Shannon, how can they send those emails at one o'clock in the morning? <laughs> That's right. Send them to John at no uh, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Uh, you can always tweet us too. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. Um, as we continue to stay virtual, um, definitely on Slack a whole lot more. So find us in the Software Underground on the Don't Panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us going. You can support us, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or